know in that all about two hundred rock fans or as a rock show. Hi there, this is the Community Broadband Bits Podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and I'm Lisa Gonzalez. Judy Clark, a consultant with Lit San Leandro, and Deborah Acosta, Chief Innovation Officer for the City of San Leandro, join Chris to talk about this unique public-private partnership. The project began when a San Leandro entrepreneur could not get what his business needed from the large incumbents. He approached the city with a proposal that's changing San Leandro's economy. Here are Deborah, Judy, and Chris. Welcome to another episode of Community Broadband Bits. Today we're going to head out to San Leandro and we're going to start by talking with Deborah Acosta, the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of San Leandro. Good morning. Good morning. And we also have with us uh, Judy Clark, a consultant with Lit San Leandro. Good morning. I'm really glad to have both of you on the phone. Um, Judy, you and I have talked about this a little bit. Um, at first, I was a little bit confused, not sure if this was really a public-private partnership, but um, as I've learned more about it, it's, it's definitely a very interesting model that I think people should be aware of. Uh, but I hope we can start by uh, describing uh, San Leandro a little bit for people who haven't had the benefit of being out there. Sure. San Leandro is uh, a city that is nestled uh, in midway on the east peninsula, on the east side of the San Francisco Bay, so between Oakland and San Jose, uh, it's a town of about 85,000 people. Historically, this town's uh, job base has been manufacturing, so we have about 24 million square feet of industrial space built around 1940s to the 1970s. A lot of manufacturing, uh, more recently becoming warehouse space as jobs, of course, were outsourced to uh, Asia and other areas. So uh, San Leandro also has a, a very an excellent retail base. We actually are the center of uh, retail shoppers from throughout the East Bay, uh, which is great. Uh, we don't suffer for sales taxes in terms of our retail. However, in terms of jobs, Looking forward to the future and, re and replacing jobs. Oh, by the way, we also have an outstanding residential community. Um, lots of wonderful housing uh, developments. Uh, cute is the way often they're often described. A very um, great family structure with uh, a tremendous support for the local elementary and high school systems. So it's a town that really prides itself on its being a family. And that's part of the um, benefits, really, as we move forward in the 21st century. And part of the challenge, how do we move forward with 21st century technology and still maintain that kind of family and neighborhood feel in San Leandro? Okay, and so you, you're both working on a project now that's called Lit San Leandro. And I'm curious what the origins of, of this initiative were. So one of the companies in town, uh, OSIsoft, is uh, headed by a man named Dr. Pat Kennedy, Patrick Kennedy. Uh, he's been at this since uh, the company was founded in 1980. The global headquarters are in San Leandro, and he's got, uh, uh, let's see, he's in over 100 countries. His software and company representation is in over 100 countries, and 900 employees globally, and 300 locally. Being a software company, they had a real strong need for good internet connectivity, to both for the teleconferencing capabilities that they do, and also practically sending software you know, to their customers, sending updates, being able to do in-cloud services. So a couple of years ago, uh, it 
you know, it became a problem that they could not get, they could not buy from the uh, existing providers the level of service of internet connectivity that they needed. Uh, it just wasn't, uh, you know, typically the services are, are asymmetric. They deliver download speeds, but what OSI needed was upload speed, and they couldn't, you know, couldn't meet their business needs. So uh, Pat came to the city and spoke with the mayor a couple of years ago first and the city council second and suggested that he, uh, he start this project, that, uh, that he create this public-private partnership using the city's existing conduit, in-ground conduit, then using Dr. Kennedy's uh, interest in providing good service, he would bring the private part of a public-private partnership, which would be fiber optic cable through the city's conduit to provide services as an economic development play for the business community in town. This is not about residents. It's really about serving the businesses. Right. I, I remember meeting Dr. Kennedy at a net workshop in San Francisco. Um, and uh, it was a very, at that, at that point, it was the beginning stages. And uh, as I understood it, it, it was going to be uh, dark fiber. Um, has, that, has that plan changed at all, or is it still mostly aimed at the kind of uh, businesses that know how to deal with dark fiber? This is actually a quite a unique partnership, uh, public and private, but there are two, uh, actually two companies on the private side. There's San Leandro Dark Fiber, which owns the fiber, offers dark fiber as an option to companies that are big enough and have the IT infrastructure to be able to use dark fiber. But there's a second private company as well called Lit San Leandro, which is what one of the things we're talking about today. And Lit San Leandro is, uh, is offering the lighting services. They, they work with tel uh, the telecom providers to, uh, any telecom provider that wants to, to uh, light the services, to offer lit services, internet service provision to companies that need uh, a package of that nature. They offer internet service and also phone service. Okay, so if I understand this correctly then, and I'm just going to take a, a step back. Um, in Palo Alto, for instance, they have dark fiber. And in that case, in our investigations, we've found that um, it's just it's doing tremendously, but it's somewhat limited to companies that have the expertise and, and the know-how. And so it sounds like here we have an iteration on that and an improvement in that you have um, conduit that's owned by the city, uh, that's used by a partner of the city to get fiber optic throughout the conduit. And then you have this uh, yet another partner, which is Lit San Leandro, which is then providing some of that expertise to make sure that a variety of businesses can take advantage of it, not just the super tech-savvy ones. Is, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and even more importantly, we're using the commercial community uh, and, it, and IS, other ISP providers who can provide specific services, that's who Lit San Leandro actually deals with. So Lit San Leandro is not the service provider, but they actually contract with service providers to provide the services to the business. So the business itself doesn't have to know what it is that has to be done. That service pro the, the service provider actually provides the business. Are you able to disclose any of the service providers? Well, our, the main one with Lit San Leandro is Crosslink Networks. They've provided most of the services in the area. Uh, Crosslink Networks is a, a, a non-dominant CLEC, so they are allowed to also provide phone services. And in addition, we, we will be adding other service providers as we discover needs that the business community has. 
and other service providers that can provide that particular service. So this is not an exclusive with Crosslinks. We will be adding more. And I think this would be a good question uh, for you, Debbie. Um, is um, what is the city getting in return for uh, the partnership? The city has the owns the conduit and is letting. I mean, obviously, there's benefits for job creation and for um, encouraging economic development. But what else is the city receiving as a result of this partnership? Well, there's no question. And in the early stages, there's a lot of marketing benefit to this. So. It is being recognized and increased nationally. I mean, Chris, you and I just met over at a uh, broadband, the National Broadband uh, Summit uh, in Dallas, Texas, whereas a few years ago, why would the city have even had a presence there? So Lib San Leandro is receiving um, uh, interest about this un the unique public-private partnership. We've actually had a lot of presence in the press over the last few uh, months. The FCC chairman, Julius Janikowski, made a point of coming to visit here to find out what this 10 gigabit network was, and that was in the wake of announcing um, his challenge to the U.S. mayors that he'd like to see one gigabit city in every state by 2015. So, uh, you know, our mayor said, does 10 gigabits count? And, of course, he was quite fascinated, so we came <laughs> down. And so on the heels of that, a tremendous amount of marketing. We, uh, we also received an award by the San Francisco Business Times, their most prestigious award, um, the 2012 San Francisco Business Times Real Estate Deal of the Year Award, because basically what this is is infrastructure, and that's about real estate. So marketing, of course, especially free marketing, is always beneficial, especially when it's very positive and would cast your city in an innovative light. So that's extremely helpful. Now, of course, but of course that's not the reason we did it. The reason we did it was because it's going to absolutely provide economic development benefits. So as new kinds of businesses come in and telecom business or telecom jobs in particular um, studies have shown, and, and I'm certainly reading a fabulous book right now called The New Geography of Jobs, which verifies that the new technology jobs that are being created, at least five and a half additional jobs are created because the salaries for those, com those jobs are so great. That, that entire industries are built around it, especially in the service industry. So just to dig into that for a second for to make sure people understand, this is something that actually a, a colleague of mine, uh, Stacy Mitchell, uh, works on. And I, I might be taking this in a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's important, which is to say when you have those sort of jobs that require a high level of expertise that pay a lot, um, those people then live in the area, they, they go to the local shops, and that money stays in the economy because they're spending it locally, right? Correct. Absolutely. Exclamation point. And so, and then in, in addition, as new companies come in and fill the spaces that are not necessarily empty right now, but they, as they come in, there will be these buildings will put, be put to a higher and better use. So instead of a, uh, companies coming in and paying at warehousing rates, which are maybe 85 cents, 50 to 85 cents a square foot. Um, for some of these larger buildings, they can be repurposed into technology buildings where with the 10 gig fiber being pulled in, maybe now you're looking at rents of $1.50 to $2.50 a square foot. That in turn leads to 
larger uh, revenues for the city in terms of our business license fees, as well as, again, new kinds of people in those buildings who increasingly want to shop locally, who want to eat locally, who want to create, go to bars and art galleries, and it's a whole different kind of uh, feel, and that's really where the cultivation of a healthy tech and innovation system comes in. Chris, if I, this is Judy. If I could jump in here, there's another thing too that's a little bit less uh, less obvious. Uh, since we come from a manufacturing base, an industrial base, uh, there's uh, quite a few parcels of land that are about an acre or two acres between office buildings, and that hasn't had a lot of coverage. Uh, you know, there may be a copper line out there, or there may be a T1, which gives one and a little more than uh, one point uh, and a half megabits per second, one, not, you know, not even your DSL speeds. So if you get this kind of coverage out in those areas, you can't really do any kind of a modern business. And one of the things that this loop is doing is bringing fast gigabit service to some of these areas that are underserved or more significantly unserved by the telecom incumbents and by the cable incumbents. So we're really bringing new life to an old area. Right, so where you have an undeveloped piece of property, now you have the potential, as we are right now, looking at a three and a half acre site next to our BART station, our rapid transit station, that is being entitled as we speak for a 400,000 square foot tech campus. That would never have happened before the fiber had been pulled in. It just wouldn't have happened. Right, there's always the option that that company could have pulled their own fiber and could have gone to a lot of hassle, but why would they ever want to if they could just find a location that already has it? It's, um, it makes a lot of sense. Is the city also getting some level of um, fiber from the um, uh, the partnership? You betcha. Um, the agreement, the license agreement, stipulates that of the 288 strands that the uh, dark the sandland or dark fiber is pulling. The city gets 30 strands in this initial tranche, and then in the future, for any additional expansions of it, the city will get 10% of all of any of the fibers that are being pulled. And I, I should have covered this earlier, but is there an interesting story behind how the city came to have all this conduit available? They built their own transportation network 10 years ago. They were very far farsighted. As a matter of fact, we have a lovely room downstairs here in our city hall where you go into it and you can see cameras that have been placed all over the city that is being fed by the fiber optic loop where you can literally see the transportation links live. It all, the, the fiber optic loop also connects all the municipal buildings. So yes, far-sighted. Yes. Far I, I, I have to agree with that. It really was far-sighted. You know, not every community in the East Bay had this vision. But we really did have some visionary people in charge some years ago. That's always good, and we're trying to we're trying to give some ideas to some visionary people today. It's it's never too late to start building those conduit systems. Well, and the the other thing that we have here is we we are developing an open trench policy, Christopher, and that's important. It means every time you turn over the dirt for any reason, or you're drilling into the street, put in conduit. It doesn't matter that we can't light it up yet or put fiber into it. Put it in, track it, eventually you're going to figure out how it can be used. There's one more thing too. Uh, Jim Baller, as many of your listeners know Jim Baller, the wonderful telecom uh, legal analyst uh, and lawyer. Uh, 
he was wonderful at uh, suggesting at some point that we also consider an open rooftop policy that some of our buildings could benefit from being, uh, uh, when we put in a wireless point to, to have a policy that would promote the open use of rooftop space for the purpose of serving other areas of the city as a temporary measure to try and you know, build in the capacity while we're also trying to build in the, the physical infrastructure. That's, that's a good point, and I think that's often overlooked when we're talking about the, uh, the conduit policies. Uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to just push in a little bit more on that in particular and ask what, you know, I think maybe a different way of framing this would be to say, if I'm, if I'm in a city, if I'm in St. Paul and the city has not been very proactive thus far, is it enough to just say, okay, hey, public works, put conduit in the road whenever you're around and map it? Or is there another level of planning that has to take place before you get to that point? Well, ideally, you'd want to you'd want to understand, especially depending upon your general um, your general plan, where you want your pockets of, of commercial activity to go. So uh, we're talking, of course, about commercial activity. The fiber to the home that's a whole different issue that I'm not even going to contemplate. Yeah, big at this yeah, point, right. it's just huge. Um, but there's no question, and I know that we even get pushback from our own public works director here. He has been very, he has been very um, adamant with me that he doesn't think that that policy is actually a very conducive, is not is a very beneficial one, because he would like to see a plan. And there's no question about it, because every time you trench and you have to put conduit in the ground. It costs money, and where's it's, the it's money? A lot of, yeah, from? it's a lot of money. It's not just a little money. But it's going to cost. And my argument and pushback is, but if you have to open it in uh, again later on to actually purposefully build out the fiber, you know, the network, it's going to cost even more money. So mm -hmm. if you've already got the ground open, the conduit itself doesn't cost that much money. Put it in the ground. So we we definitely have to take this into council to develop policy around it and funding for it. Um, and yes. Planning is optimal. Thank you, Debbie. The um, I heard a uh, Judy say as well that the uh, the costs were significant, and I I think in this case it helps to to put a frame around that because I think a lot of people aren't aware of just how incredibly costly roads are. And my understanding is that often adding conduit to an existing road project uh, is in the order of one percent. It's often sort of lost in the details. And I don't want right. to I don't want to minimize that because budgets are tight and we don't want to waste any any money that we don't have to. Uh, but I just want to see if you would agree with that, Judy. Yeah. Yeah. We're building the superhighway. You know, yes. we're building the highway that's in the 21st century. Um, it's ludicrous, in my mind, to argue about that 1%. Put it in. Okay, so this is... Uh, this has been terrific, and as we as we head toward wrapping it off, there's one last area I want to touch on, and I think most of this conversation, um, Debbie, you've been saying things that I typically hear from a CIO that's a chief information officer, but your title's innovation, and right. and I understand that that you're doing a number of things to not just make these connections available, but to build what what you're calling a healthy tech and innovation ecosystem, and so I hope you can tell us about that. It, everything's connected. So um, if, if for those of your audience who've read The Tipping Point, after I read that I realized I'm a connector. I'm a dot connector. I see things and connect things in ways 
that other people don't necessarily see. So while some may think, oh, well, the Chief Innovation Officer for the City of San Leandro, your job description says you're supposed to bring in and attract and retain and expand companies um, as an economic development initiative with attached to the fiber. And, and my understanding, because I've been doing this work for a long time, is it's not that simple. The tech ecosystem demands, especially the workers, demand a lifestyle. So they want, they don't want to drive cars. They're interested in sustainability. They want to live, they're, they're more comfortable in dense housing over retail where they can go down, wake up in the morning and go down and get their favorite cup of coffee or in the evening they don't want to cook dinner. They go to their, their favorite restaurant or favorite restaurants which are on walking distance. Um, there is a, a, a sense of there's co-working um, places, places where techies can hang out just for the heck of it and be able to have conversations about current things and ways of connecting. So it's that open economy, it's that shared economy, and, and a healthy tech ecosystem reflects that at all levels, from infrastructure to where people live and having available sites. That, that can move you there and having interesting, cool things to do, events, it's all part of that ecosystem. And we cannot be successful unless we're aware of how important that is. I love the Kansas City Playbook. Um, I learned a lot from that one statement that you know, an effective Internet economy is 90% sociology and 10% technology. And I truly believe that. Terrific. Are there any closing comments that, that you want to offer, Judy? You know, uh, thanks very much for uh, for reaching out. This is an unusual situation, not really uh, uh, one of the cookie cutter uh, uh, implementations. And uh, I think it's it's beneficial to take a look at this particularly unique kind of setting. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely. I'm I'm excited that as well that you were so open to to share all that you're doing and. Uh, uh, I really wish you luck. I'm sure we'll be looking in to, to find out what benefits uh, you've brought to the communities and um, and what other communities can learn from you. Yeah, check back with us in about six months, Christopher, and I'll bet you there'll be more and even more 12 months from now, but we're moving fast. All right, that sounds great, and I have to I have one more excuse to try and get out to San Francisco again, so thank you for that. Oh, we would love to have you here. Come on down. <laughs> thank you for, for coming on. You're a terrific guest. Thank you to Judy Clark and Deborah Acosta from San Leandro, California. You can learn all about the project at litsanleandro.com, including more about the history and about Dr. J. Patrick Kennedy, whose idea is bringing economic development to the city of San Leandro. Send us your questions and comments. You can email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at communitynets. This show was released on May 21, 2013. Thank you to Eat at Joe's for their song titled Eat at Joe's, licensed using Creative Commons. Eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's.